Welcome to Off Screen Let's Get Cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Oh, I love a good boom. So, booming on the couch as always this week, it's week 904 of lockdown, or so it feels. <laughs> Should we take it to digital for our first segment this week, then have a look at some stuff? I was going to say take it to Amazon Prime, but our first film was going to be an Amazon release, but uh, due to certain controversies, it is no longer. It is, of course, um, the, the the new Woody Allen movie, so-called as his final film, given, obviously, controversies in, in real life and things like that, allegations. Uh, a Rainy Day in New York is out this week. I keep meaning to look it up. I have no idea which number Woody Allen film this is. I know we've had one every year since 1981, one and the 2018 and 19 are the first years since that haven't had a new Woody Allen film. Surely this is film 976, the same <laughs> time as it's been in lockdown. I mean, Woody Allen doesn't run a film around every nine weeks or something. <laughs> something like that. And you do watch this. I will get to, to the explanation of, of just how that sort of seems to work and exactly where this has clearly gone wrong for the man. But obviously this is the his latest adventure. This stars Timothy Chalamet, Elle Fanning, Liev Schreiber, uh, Diego Luna, Selena Gomez. Hell of a cast, as always, because, you know, Woody Allen films. Somehow neither Alec Baldwin nor Diane Keaton turn up in this one, which blew my mind, because I didn't think he knew how to make a film without one of those two. And this one um, involves uh, a young couple who have come from Yardley University. They're in New York for the day. Uh, they have respective things to be getting on with. They arrange to meet later after uh, the, the after Elle Fanning's character has gone off and done an interview for a journalism assignment. Timothy Charlemagne's gone and, and just seen some old friends, etc. They're going to meet up later. But of course, things come up along the way. The weather turns. They're caught in a torrential downpour and they go off on their own separate adventures that in typical Woody Allen fashion will see them question their life and their relationship. Hey, you know what, Shan? Yeah. I'm going to get out here too. Ah. What are you doing now? Why? Uh, why? Because I got a little bit of time to kill and I uh, thought about going to the Modern Museum, look at the Ouija exhibit. Oh, I see. You got nothing better to do, so you want me to keep you company? You know what? Forget it. I dated your older sister. You always had a little bit of an attitude. Okay, I'm not looking for any trouble. I've got to check out some paintings at the Met for fashion class if you want to keep me company. I don't know why you couldn't have just, uh... Fine. It'll be fun. We can get on each other's nerves. All right, let me change. I'm soaked. Are you hungry? I'd give you an Arizona lunch, but we're all out of beef jerky. Uh, a lovely Woody Allen clip just there, but mm -hmm. I always have to ask about Woody Allen films, and I feel a bit guilty as a film critic where I feel like I should love Woody Allen, right? But <laughs> I just don't enjoy it that much. I just don't get much out of his movies. Maybe it's the amount in which it kind of just, they flow out. I mean, Annie Hall, you know, yes, you've got to watch it. It's a classic, you know. It's all that kind of stuff that you know that as part of your portfolio you need to have on your list and so I've definitely caught a few Woody Allen movies but when a new one comes out I don't get that excited. I can absolutely understand that and you know for the longest time I've been kind of the same way I grew up not really being into the whole Woody Allen thing. I think I, when I started reviewing was when Midnight in Paris came out and then obviously Blue Jasmine was a year or two after that so there have been a few quite good ones along the way. There was one with Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone I think that was Irrational Man I thought that was quite good as well. Uh, I think we actually went to a screening together of that something like seven years ago now 
now. But uh, this one is not one of his better efforts. And like you say, you know, it takes him like nine weeks to make one of these. You watch a film like A Rainy Day in New York and you do feel like this was put together in a fortnight. It does have that very boilerplate Woody Allen feel. It feels like Woody Allen's dinner theater. It feels like I've gone away and I've written this script over a weekend. Let's get to Monday. I'll ask Tim and L and Liev and Diego. We'll see if they want to do it. And we'll just messenger it over. They've got it by Monday lunchtime. We're, we're in a cafe rehearsing by Tuesday lunchtime. And we're filming by Friday. We'll do that over the weekend. Boom. It's been nine days. Here's a new Woody Allen movie. And it does feel like that all the way through. So the dialogue that you just heard in that clip, for instance, does feel like, you know, quintessentially Woody Allen dialogue. But definitely not his better works, if you know what I mean. It feels very rushed. It feels like a Woody Allen movie made for streaming, which I know that we're trying to you know, differentiate how we view streaming releases. We're trying to you know, view streaming releases as more pedigree than we would have once upon a time, but this does feel like Woody Allen made a streaming movie and all the worst connotations that come with that, I have to admit. Okay, well that's kind of a, an interesting viewpoint on it, and how many thumbs up are you going to give this one? <sighs> One thumb up because I wasn't bored by it. You know, it is a quintessentially Woody Allen film, like I say, but it is one of his weaker, more phoned-in efforts, definitely. Yeah, probably one of the back of the fag packet kind of Woody Allen movies. Like you know. <laughs> that's how, probably how I describe it by your description. <laughs> I will say as well, you know that whole thing that Woody Allen does where one of his characters is clearly meant to be Woody Allen. You know, yeah. there's always one in every Woody Allen film. In this one, obviously, it's Timothy Chalamet, and seeing Timothy Chalamet being Woody Allen. Is the weirdest goddamn thing you've yes. ever seen. I can get that. I can get that. Right. Okay. Moving on from Woody Allen, we've also got Guest of Honor, which is out on digital on Friday as well. I mean, you've had you've had a lot of movies to watch this week, so tell us about this one. So, Guest of Honor, new film from Canadian director Atomy Goyan. This stars David Thewlis and Luke Wilson. Imagine that as a as a they're not an on screen pair. They're in different sort of they're in different set in different time periods. But it's the story of a uh, an American restaurant health food inspector. He's the guy that certifies, puts the health certificate in the windows of every restaurant. Tends to specialize in sort of Turkish or Armenian kebab house type restaurants and uh, Indian ta- Indian takeaways and things like that on buffets in the back of bars and things like that. He has something of a tortured personal life having to do with his daughter serving prison time for an incident involving an inappropriate relationship with a student. The details are not completely clear though and as he starts to learn more and as she tells us more in a different time period, we start to learn more of just what's gone on behind the scenes of all this and it leads to something of an unraveling. I've got a clip for you of early on and this is just this is just Thulis enjoying his life as the, the health inspector. Yes, I'm very impressed for a new establishment. So uh, we got a good rating? Yeah, you've done a wonderful job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I just need to sign this certificate so you can put it in. So it's got a vibe to it. It's got a tone. It works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. When you first started describing this, and you said, you know, it's a guy that puts up um, certifications in restaurants. I was like, are we talking? Are we got another Woody Allen film on? Us? <laughs> <Do we> have- <laughs> 
Well, I will say that, having gone into this purely with the remit, because the plot synopsis that you read around are, you know, it's about you know a guy with trauma involving his daughter who works as a health inspector. I was like, okay, this sounds like the most bizarre idea for a film. Sat down, started watching it, and within minutes, I was hooked. It does get you. The drama is very gripping. Think something like a sort of halfway measure between... Did you see Una with Ben Mendelsohn and Rooney Mara a couple of years ago? No. That was an interesting one. It's sort of halfway between that and Thunder Road, although better than either film, I will say that. Thulis is tremendous in it. Um, Egoyan's handling of it, the script, the look of it, the style of it, the tone, the pacing of it, all very good. It's a little bit imbalanced as regards when it shifts from the father to the daughter, but when it gets that balance right, it is brilliant. I was really hooked on this. I think genuine two thumbs up. Great movie. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Great, fantastic. And then moving on from the guest of honor, we're going to talk a little bit about Echo in the Canyon. Now, I've not heard about this one, so again, let's run through it. This is a nostalgia-driven documentary about the music scene in Laurel Canyon in California in the 60s, around the time that all of the iconic musicians of the era started to just hang out there and form their own community. And you had, for instance, the Mamas and the Poppers, you had the Birds, you had the Beach Boys, you know, the Beatles were there. This is where the Beatles discovered acid and things like that. And it's just about the culture of this environment, how it, how it just impacted the music scene forever. To be that close to the Sunset Strip, and yet you had a feel that you were in the country. It's beautiful. Laurel Canyon is like an open ticket to a studio, to a record, to everything. That's an incredible environment for a musician to be in. I fell in love with it. All the bands you think of is that California sound. Buffalo Springfield. My name is Neil Young. The Beach Boys. Hi, Brian Wilco. The Mamas and Papas. The Birds. They were all there. This kind of thing could only happen in Laurel Canyon. Not a mind-blowing documentary, nothing revelatory, but in terms of just a really great celebration of, of music, unmissable, very nostalgia-fueled, very good time. And, you know, like, something like Netflix, for instance, is really, really strong in terms of their documentary game. Does this format, does this feel like this is something that, yes, you could get it on digital, but actually, give it a few more weeks or a few more months, you might see it on something you're already paying for as part of the subscription. Absolutely, and I think this is the kind of thing that if you did see it on a streaming platform, if you did see this through your streaming provider like Netflix or Amazon Prime, something like that, I think it's a film you would sit in. It's 82 minutes long. It's, a, it's got a great soundtrack, obviously. It's nice to see all these musicians reflecting and looking back on you know, the music that made us kind of a thing. And uh, it, it's, it's just, a, just a lovely, nice, nostalgic documentary. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't need to. What it does is spin that wheel in a way that you know and love, play some classic tunes while it, while it goes, and ensure that you have a good time by the end of it. I, I wouldn't recommend it overly, but I think if you want a, a nice, cheap and cheerful music documentary fronted by Jacob Dylan and a documentary in which he and Fiona Apple perform Beach Boys songs on stage with Beck, then, you know, look no further. I mean, it's, it's a very niche market, admittedly, but you know what? I had a good time with it, and I, 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 I would give it a look. I'd say just give it a look for a fun afternoon, I would say. And we are back. And as ever on Offscreen, we're bringing you your big movies on TV. So maybe you haven't been able to go and buy your latest digital copies. Maybe you don't necessarily have everything on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Do not worry, because this is your seven-day guide as well to everything on Freeview. And we're going to kick off with your Saturday night 
Um, well, I say Saturday night. We're going to kick off with your Saturday late afternoon, and this is one for all the family. This is The Rock singing beautifully at you. This is Empowerment for Women. This is Moana on BBC One, 5.50pm. I did really like this. I've only seen it once, but I really enjoyed when I did watch it. And again, I did it on a plane. I watched it on a plane every time. I think I've seen it twice. I watched it when we reviewed it, when we were press showing it, I think. And then I, I think I saw it with my ex-girlfriend like six or eight months later, whenever it hit uh, home platforms. It's hard to believe this was four entire years ago now, because it really does feel like it was last year. It's like Coco, same thing. Uh, love the rock in it. Uh, uh, love. I can never remember the, the, the name of the actress who plays Moana. Orville Carvello, I think? is her name and I say that I listen to uh, How Far I'll Go about once a week in the shower if I'm being really honest because as you well know the selling point of Moana is definitely the soundtrack absolutely and is this your lockdown lockdown song that you choose like has this been something to get you through those difficult times <laughs> get some- it is I just throw a towel around my waist and I bounce around the room singing you're welcome like I'm Maui but of course it's the story of uh, the a young girl Moana who sets out on an adventure across the ocean uh, you know escaping the clutches of her isolationist uh, people who live on the island and she goes in search of the uh, the lost god Maui who's brought to life here by, uh, by Dwayne Johnson and uh, the pair of them then join forces to go and return an ancient artifact that will restore the balance of nature and protect the island. Let's have a listen. Maui, shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, I am one hero of, of Mo- men. What? It's actually Maui, shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, hero of men. I interrupted from the top, hero of men. Go. Uh, I am Sorry, Mo- sorry, sorry, sorry. And women. Men and women. Both. All. Not a guy-girl thing. Uh, you know, Maui is a hero to all. You're doing great. No, I'm here to- Oh, of course, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Now he always has time for his fans. When you use a bird to write with, it's called tweeting. (laughs) I know, not every day you get a chance to meet your hero. You are not my hero, and I'm not here so you can sign my or. I don't think we need to talk a huge amount of detail. Every single person listening to this will have seen it. So it's a nice refresher if you want to kind of watch it again. I know I'll do that on my Saturday because it's just quite a nice little thing to watch. And if you have got the kids in tow, it's a great thing to just stick on. It just means your life's a little bit easier for a couple of hours. And who doesn't love The Rock? Well, exactly. And it's a perfect Saturday tea time film as well. It's it's 5.50, which is just the perfect time to sit down, you know, have a big takeaway, whole family around the telly. What more could you ask for on a Saturday evening? Exactly, exactly. So there you go. That is your tea time sorted on this weekend. So we kicked off on your Saturday. Strong start, I would have thought. Um, And then moving on to the Sunday. I mean, you know, you can't handle the truth. I love it so much. This is one of my favourite movies ever. This is my go-to movie when I can't sleep. I get up and I sit in the living room on my own in the middle of the night and I stick on A Few Good Men and I quote along with it and I enjoy the hell out of Kiefer Sutherland's performance and the late, great J.T. Walsh and Jack Nicholson and even Kevin Bacon and, oh, what a movie. So A Few Good 
Men's on Five Star on Sunday night at 9pm. And it's the story of Daniel Caffey, a jag lawyer with a smart mouth and all the attitude to go with it, who finds himself in over his head when he's asked to defend uh, two young officers who are accused of murder. They've been asked to discipline, they claim they've been asked to discipline a fellow cadet said act of discipline called a code red has gone horrifically wrong has led to said officer's death and they find themselves tried for murder with a lawyer clearly out of his depth tasked with defending him he finds he has to go up against the legendary general nathan jessup played brilliantly by jack nicholson this is like a career defining uh, role for Jack Nicholson, who has had his share of career-defining roles. He's Jack Nicholson. And it, of course, leads to great moments like this. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I refuse to answer. You'll answer. I'll answer the question. I love this movie so much. Just the entire Jack Nicholson monologue in the third act is one of my favorite things in any movie ever. Kermode will drag this movie down forever and ever. He thinks it's convoluted and nonsense. I think it's a genuinely fantastic film. And the reason I still love Tom Cruise to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's. Uh, what, do you remember what year this came out? I think this falls into our, our realm of kind of the 90s, you know, that we love. It's 1993, and the reason I know this is this is the very first uh, effort from then-emerging screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. He wrote this as a stage play, it then got uh, the rights purchased and he adapted it. He adapted it himself for the screen. They brought this back a couple of years ago as a live theatre event on NBC as well as a live TV uh, performance starring Alec Baldwin in the Jack Nicholson role. Now, I have been trying for years to get a hold of a copy of this because I really, really want to see Alec Baldwin do this. Uh, no such luck. If anyone has a copy of this, please do tweet me, email me, whatever. I need to see Alec Baldwin playing Nathan Jessup. My life hinges on it. It can only be as awesome as this film truly is. I think we all need to see that. So just tweet off screen and let us know just in general. I'm so intrigued. Um, okay, so sticking with the 90s and moving on to one of my, it's one of the weirdest films, but one of my most favourite films of all time. <laughs> and yes, Jamie Lee Curtis, quite rightly during this year, she won like Sexiest Woman Alive for this kind of bedroom dancing scene that she does. What am I talking about? Well, of course, it's Arnie, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, it's of course True Lies on Film 4 at 9pm. This movie, I think, again, I watched it way too young. I was a bit like, this is this is the 90s defined for me. And I loved it. It was bonkers. It was out there. 
it was great, but not as ever greatly acted by Arnie. It just works. It does. But of course, it's one of those films that Arnie did, uh, like Total Recall, where the mystery is basically, you know, he's meant to be unbelievable as, in that case, it was he was meant to be unbelievable as a spy. In this case, it's meant to be, he's meant to be implausible as a spy. Yet he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And of course, the whole thing is, he's keeping this, this double life secret from his family. Uh, latest terrorist target comes along and targets his family, and he's forced to come out with it and basically involve his family in this mission to save the world, leading to, of course, brilliant moments like this. Do you know what this is? I know what this is. It's a snow cone maker. That's what it is. Do you know why you've been brought here? So that this man can verify to the world the Crimson Jihad is now a nuclear power. He is just a salesman, for Christ's sake. I'm wrong about him. The last thing you will see will be your blood spraying across his face. A great movie, a classic James Cameron movie as well. Uh, I think this was the most expensive movie ever when it came out. I was just going to say, of course it's a James Cameron movie. I mean, even just the um, the plane sequence with them all hanging off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Like all that kind of stuff to it. Look, it's brilliant. You've got some real 90s nostalgia across the weekend and into the new uh, new week. The weather's not great. It's a perfect excuse to kind of stay in and just chill out by your telly screen. So this is your big rundown so far. We're going to carry on very shortly with the rest of your week, so don't go away. And we're back, and we're keeping you on that couch with another helping of Freeview cinematic goodies. On to Tuesday then, Miss Perfect, and a movie that I think, I know I loved, I think you will have reasonably liked. I loved it! <laughs> well, this is, of course, 2017's, 2017 and 2018's Logan, the final uh, chapter of Hugh Jackman's iconic uh, portrayal of Wolverine. Uh, this takes place in a dystopian X-Men future in which mutants are all but wiped out, and our now reclusive, strangely term- near-terminally ill, battered, bruised, and dying Wolverine finds himself entrusted with the protection of the first new mutant that he and the now dementia-stricken Professor X have encountered in some years. She's played by Daphne Keene. Comic book fans will know her as X-23. And of course, this becomes Logan's version of Unforgiven. Hey, Mr. Monson. You understand you're trespassing right now, right? I have an easement with the previous owner of your property. <laughs> previous being the operative word. Who's this? Just a guy telling you to get back in your nice truck. Go play old somewhere else. Hey, Carl. It looks like Mr. Monson hires some muscle. Looks that way. He's a friend of mine. Friend with a big mouth. I hear that a lot. And you probably hear this, too. More than I'd like. And you know the drill. I'm gonna count to three. And you're gonna start walking away. Yeah, right to this one. One. I have a lawyer now. Two. Three. Do you know what? I loved this almost as much as I loved watching the clip of Hugh Jackman doing the ADR for some of his fight sequences. <laughs> I don't know which way he more. Just watching it. Rah, 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 <laughs> doing it and running across. I mean, if you ever see an old man kind of be an old man, <laughs> it's kind 
Well, because it is, of course, loosely based on the comic book series called Old Man Logan. They have specifically aged uh, Hugh Jackman up. So it's kind of like Hugh Jackman looking a lot older than we've ever seen him look before because he, he's quite a youthful-looking fellow, is old Hugh, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I do joke, I do jest when I say, like, old man playing old man. But, you know, it's just one of those things that you kind of go, we feel like Wolverine's had his day. It is a good ending to it. But the difference is, is if you go in watching what you think is going to be X-Men, but actually it's heart-wrenching. It's really emotional. It's just one of those films that you didn't see coming, and that's why it did so, so well. Well, that's the thing as well, because obviously James Mangold, this is his second uh, effort with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. He directed The Wolverine, I think, three or four years before this. Mangold has something of a pedigree in old-school Hollywood westerns, uh, did the remake of 310 to Yuma, notably with uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe, uh, I think it was about ten years or so ago now, and uh, you can see how that lends itself to this film in particular. Well, yeah, I was going to agree with that because it feels very dusty. It feels very sad, mm. doesn't it? There's that whole kind of premise to it that's just very different to the other X-Men movies. It's very gritty, very raw, almost like there was a Transformers movie, and this is completely different, but there was like a whole massive, like, sandy, dusty element to it, which I thought this Transformers movie is taking a different tack to the rest of them, and it's feeling like it's a little bit more mature. And that's exactly what Wolverine's done with this. It's taken a different route, a different format, and it paid off. And it's the first superhero movie that I can think of to star Stephen Merchant. So make of that what you will. <laughs> so you can find out for yourself on Film uh, on film 4 on Tuesday night at 9pm. So over to Wednesday, where should we go next, Miss Bell? Well, um, we're, we're going to go dark, deep and dark, and into the Blade... <laughs> The Blade, the world of Blade, shall we say. So Blade Trinity, ITV4, 11pm. Thank goodness this is on at 11pm, shall we say. Um, it's, I mean, vampires. You need to kind of rejig the format every now and again with vampires. And what's better than Wesley Snipes with a really... 90s pair of glasses and a big old leather coat to do it. <laughs> That's the thing. This is the final Blade movie of the original trilogy, which you know did kickstart the comic book genre revival, as we, which we're still currently really living through. Uh, this is regarded as the worst of the Blade trilogy, uh, which academically I would agree, but there's still moments of fun. And this proved to be the breakout role for Ryan Reynolds. This was his feature film breakout role after years of TV work, years of of roles in movies that really no one ever saw. I mean, I've seen the movie Buying the Cow. I don't think anyone else has somehow. But uh, I remember it I remember it vividly. It, it also starred Alyssa Milano. Uh, but he made an impression here as Hannibal King, uh, one of the members of the Night Stalkers, alongside Jessica Beale, a previously unnamed character who it turns out has been working behind the scenes in all of these Blade movies. The movie sees Blade team up with the Night Stalkers uh, to take on Drake, played by Dominic Purcell, who most of us now know for the series Prison Break and Legends of Tomorrow and The Flash. He is, of course, Dracula. And his team of henchmen consist of Parker Posey and, and this is genuinely true, the wrestler Triple H as Darko Grimshaw. Thought the vampires killed Witz's family. They did. I was born later out of wedlock. When I came of age, I tracked my dad down and I told him I wanted in. Been doing it ever since. Welcome to the Honeycomb Hideout. How do you bankroll this operation? I date a lot of older men. Come on, man, I'm joking. We call ourselves the Night Stalkers. 
Sounds like rejects from a Saturday morning cartoon. We were gonna go with the Care Bears, but uh, that was taken. Sorry, did you just say Parker Posey is in this? Parker Posey is in this as Danica Talos, Ryan Reynolds' vampiric ex-girlfriend, and she does elicit one of the best lines of Ryan Reynolds' career. I cannot repeat it for Ofcom reasons, but if you've ever seen the movie, you know exactly which line we're talking about, but you can hear it for yourself at 11 o'clock on Wednesday night on ITV4. Well, I was going to say, if there's ever a reason to watch it, it's for that line alone. <laughs> right, oh, yes. Moving swiftly on, we've got Amy, Channel 4, 10pm, Talk us through this one. So, Amy, can you believe this was five years ago? Now, this was Asif Kapadia's documentary about the late Amy Winehouse, uh, the, the tragic circumstances that led to uh, her, led to the, the unfortunate end of her career. And, of course, you and I, you know, we spent a lot of time in Camden, so we, we're kind of well-versed in the, uh, the Amy Winehouse statue. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, for me, I think I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, Asif Kapadia's format in which he delivers a documentary has really upped that kind of benchmark for me and the way I like to watch documentaries. Senna was a fantastic one. Mm. The Maradona one I think was good, not up there, but Amy, I mean, how someone has that much footage of her prior to her being so famous is incredible. And you see this really beautiful, innocent character with an amazing talent. And then you just see how her life crumbled. And when you capture it in the way that Adam Kapadi has done, it just, I mean, talking about it now, it's giving me kind of goosebumps thinking about it. It's a very, very powerful documentary. I look like a floating head, you know, I've got no hair. I'm just on a black screen. <laughs> There's my hand. What's going on? We'd recorded quite a few demo recordings and I started to talk about whether she'd ever consider writing. She said she's not sure about writing songs, but she's written a lot of poems. She knew full well she'd been writing songs, but they were very personal songs. Like you say, yes, it's all about Asif Kapadja and the way that he constructs his documentaries do, to, to actually form the basis of that. So he wants to tell you a story and he's not afraid to utilise the, the mechanism of the documentary format to facilitate that story. Unlike something like Echo in the Canyon we talked about a few minutes ago, where that is just a straight nostalgia piece, this is a story that has levels and it has nuance and it has characters, even though these characters are real people. And the way that story is constructed just expertly unfurls that story for you. If you don't know the Amy Winehouse story, this will keep you gripped and keep you guessing. If you do know the story, it's going to shock you that the directions, the twists and turns that the story takes along the way, the characters that come and go from it. But it is all about Capadia and just that wonderful filmmaking. Yeah, and it's with you on Channel 4 at 10pm. So either set your recorders or make sure you tune in. It is a documentary worth, worth watching. Um, okay, finishing off our, our week. I mean, this is perfect for a Friday night. I mean, I cannot help but chuckle when I look at this. It's on ITV2. It's at 9pm. It's one of my favourite films. It's the film that I gave all of my bridesmaids a copy of when I asked them to be my bridesmaids. It is, of course, 
Bridesmaids. We talk about this every time it's on because you can't not watch it when it's on. You have to watch Bridesmaids. It's like that movie Sisters. You just have to watch it when it's on because it's a dyed-in-the-wool, true blue, hilarious comedy that never loses its humour, never stops being as sharp, and will. Or you somehow always manage to spot a gag that you've never seen before. So let's have a quick sample. Hey, buddy. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. I feel I'm so much more relaxed. Thank you, Helen. I just feel like... I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party with the best of them. And I'm gonna go down to the river. <laughs> wow, it looks like somebody's really relaxing now. Ugh, I mean, okay, Rose Byrne, absolutely brilliant in this. <laughs> McCarthy, Oscar nomination, well-deserved. I mean, Maya Rudolph, all of the amazing, amazing actresses in this. I mean, it was a dream cast. It put all of them on You didn't know them from like their Saturday Night Live kind of ex exploitations before, ex explorations before. It's all of that stuff that kind of brings it to this mainstream because it was so relatable. And it was so like, this is how... I want to kind of celebrate my hem. This is what I want. And it was very heartfelt at the same time. It also, you say, you say put them on the map as well, but it also really put Paul Feig on the map as well. This is, I think, the big project that made Paul Feig the go-to comedy director. And we got Ghostbusters out of this and we got A Simple Favor, which is not really a comedy, but, you know, you get the idea. Uh, spy, movies like that. Um, a legacy well-deserved for a truly tremendous comedy. And you can catch that for yourself next Friday night, 9pm on ITV2. And welcome back to Off Screen. And we have all of your deliverables for DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. So again, every week we've got you covered with everything you could possibly need. And so if you are out to get those little shiny discs, here's what we've got coming up for you. Van, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so we've got a few that we've we've talked about quite a lot because, you know, films that have come out on digital that have then, you know, we've reviewed them in theatrical, we've reviewed them on digital. They're now making their way to DVD because that's kind of the cycle that we're in while we're on lockdown. Films are going through phases a lot quicker. So The Lighthouse is finally on DVD uh, from this coming Monday, June the 8th. Uh, the Lighthouse, uh, Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson, black and white, four by three ratio, uh, Robert Eggers directing. Genuinely great movie, uh, but one that I think will push people to the edge if they're still stuck at home uh, after several months when they watch it. Uh, one that we've not talked about quite as much, though, uh, latest film from Clint Eastwood, starring the likes of John Hamm, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, Olivia Wilde, Sam Rockwell, and Kathy Bates, is Richard Jewell. I know we talked about this was about four months ago now when it came out yeah, theatrical. It's an interesting one for me because this is kind of reflective of lockdown. So how to make a movie mm. about someone who's locked in their house for a number of days um, because this is kind of the premise of it. So Richard Jewell, it's about an Atlanta bombing that takes place. Um, and this guy is, I think he's like the caretaker of um, where a big... The security is. guard at the 96 Olympics, wasn't he? Yeah, that's it. And um, there was a big concert that was taking place. There was a, a, a backpack put under a, a, a set of seats and he notices it and suddenly becomes this hero for saving so many people. But then it turns on its head because of the way he is as a character and then people start turning on him and he isolates himself within his home as um, they are trying to work out whether or not to charge him with this specific crime. And it's an interesting movie. It's uh, something that I think will get your kind of educational taste buds going. Is it a compelling movie? Make your mind up yourself. The media has portrayed my son 
as the person who has committed this crime. They have taken all privacy from us. They have taken all peace. The FBI follows his every move and watches my home constantly. And why? My son, my son is innocent. Mr. President, please clear my son's name. Ask a clip moment for Kathy Bates there if she'd won, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of love and a lot of not so much love for this movie. I think it's going to be a bit of a marmite one for a lot of people. I love learning about it first and foremost. It wasn't something that kind of affected mm. me you know day in day out but and, and something that i'd known about because of the time frames we were very young at the time but actually the format the way clint eastwood has brought this out it's not the most exciting premise when you get down to it but it is an interesting story at least and the performance of paul walter hauser sam rockwell kathy bates are worth the movie you do just wish that the film was marginally better but it's not it's not one to avoid it's perfectly fine perfectly watchable uh what else we got out this week but sonic the hedgehog's finally landing on dvd this week um i've watched this with my nephew several times he thinks it's great he is however 18 months old so i wouldn't describe him as a discerning uh, palette. Um, worth watching though, uh, James Marsden, uh, Ben Schwartz plays the motion capture Sonic the Hedgehog, and of course Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik or Dr. Eggman or whatever we call him in this version. Uh, what else have we got? A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Tom Hanks's uh, drama with uh, Matthew Reese about a profile piece on Fred Rogers is out on DVD this week as well. Um, I think I really loved that film. I know you had a great uh, great time with that one as well. Very heartfelt film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Isn't yeah, it? very, very heartfelt. And again, if you didn't know the story of who Fred Rogers is. It's a nice way to understand this kind of iconic American children's TV presenter. Um, he took on very strong topics like divorce and death and stuff like that and, and made it palatable and understanding from ch for children. And I think that was a really incredible skill and that's why he's much loved. Moving on though, we've got um, another movie which is out on DVD and Blu-ray this week which is called The Rhythm Section. This is um, Blake Lively, isn't it? Yeah, did you get the chance to see this one? No, I didn't. Right, obviously I didn't because it's distributed by Paramount, but that's neither here nor there. This was Eon's uh, attempt to craft a female-focused answer to the James Bond franchise. Now, obviously, Eon only have one franchise, and that is James Bond. So them doing this was rather notable. The film itself noticeably less notable. Uh, it stars Blake Lively as a woman who's, a young woman whose family are killed in a plane, uh, an explosion on an aircraft. She discovers that the uh, explosion was not accidental, and she teams up with a former MI6 agent played by uh, Jude Law, who then trains her to go out and exact her vengeance. You gotta get your breathing sorted. Don't panic, be calm, be still. You gotta get your rhythm section under control, like in music, remember? Think of your heart as the drums, yeah, your breathing as the bass. You get those sorted and you're sorted. easy part. What's the hard part? Living with it. Not a really brilliant movie, if I'm honest. It, it was kind of a slog. What little 
spark there is to it comes from Jude Law. But I think this is a less successful attempt to do what Atomic Blonde already did a lot better, I think. Yeah, and also kind of like the Nikita feel to it as well. Like, there's that side of things. Mm. The female ninja, the female spy, the female, you know, it's like, yeah. I wonder if it's probably pushing the point a little bit too much and therefore it just didn't quite work. Um, interesting one that to, to catch if you are interested in that kind of genre. Um, and then finally, Bloodshot is out on DVD and Blu-ray this week. Uh, big smile on your face, man. <laughs> well, it's the kind of movie that I realise a schlocky gormless should have been put direct to DVD in 2005. Clearly the feature debut of an FX artist. And, you know, it's based on a valiant comic book that nobody's actually read except Vin Diesel, who for some reason believes there's a franchise in it. Then again, Vin Diesel has never opened a mailbox that he didn't think had a franchise in it. So, you know, it's basically a nano-enhanced Superman does Edge of Tomorrow type thing. It's perfectly fine if you want a schlocky sort of 100-minute actioner with some talent that you know and some overladen CG action sequences. Look no further, but don't expect to have your mind blown. Perfectly fine, though. Shall we move on to streaming, then, for the week? Get through these really quickly. We've got some interesting ones hitting the old streams this week. Yeah, and I do love the first one that we've got, which is out on Netflix Tuesday the 9th, which is The Disaster Artist, Tommy <laughs> I mean, this story is just... I, I, I absolutely love this, and I think James Franco did a fantastic job in this. Um, it's a great example as to why this phenomenon around Tommy Wiseau exists. Um, the, mm. the best thing that you can look out for in this is when you see the end credits and you see the real footage of Tommy Wiseau against how they've replayed it themselves, and it just works perfectly, and you kind of go, this is amazing. I'm not going to say more than that because lots of people know who Tommy Wiseau is. Lots of people kind of know what to expect from this. You'll probably want to watch this movie if you are a fan or intrigued. So that's out on the night. I think if you watch this and, you know, The Room back to back, I think that's an intriguing couple of hours right there. Yeah, that's the one that when the Prince Charles cinema opens again, I'll uh, <laughs> want to go and yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So a couple, couple more to speak. We've not got time for clips, really, but let's we'll go through them really quickly. Um, on Amazon Prime on Wednesday the 10th, we've got two films that I think are actually rather good. Um, a very overlooked comedy starring uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, Game Night, a movie so good it made me like Billy Magnuson for a whole 30 seconds. Didn't think that was possible. Uh, we've also got Rampage, which I still maintain is the best movie ever made out of a video game. Uh, stars The Rock and features a giant gorilla, a giant crocodile and a giant wolf I believe who besiege Chicago you can watch both those on Amazon Prime from Wednesday the 10th uh, on uh, Friday the 12th uh, one classic, one new one, so over on Netflix we've got one new one, I'll play, play a quick clip for this one uh, this is Spike Lee's new joint De Five Bloods, which stars the likes of Chadwick Boseman, uh, Delroy, Linda, hell of a cast, and it's about a group of soldiers who, a group of former soldiers who returned to Vietnam in the present day, returned to Vietnam to recover gold and the body of their former uh, fellow officer that they left behind years earlier. Um, have a listen. This one sounds really good, but it's Spike Lee. What do you expect? Welcome back to Vietnam. Look what I found. You're the man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. 
something to look forward to in the Vietnam era from Spike Lee. I can't wait for this. This sounds really good. And of course, one of my favourite Scorsese movies, and the movie he won. He finally won an Oscar for this one. Not before time. Uh, also on Friday the 12th on Amazon Prime. It's The Departed. Are you a fan of The Departed? Oh, I love The Departed. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive Scorsese fan as it is. And yeah, it was great. Like It was like his comeuppance. Like, finally, he gets to get that <laughs> when we were waiting for Leo to win it for the Revenant it's like come on it's time but obviously and again them two linked as it per this movie as well so that's a great one to see out on Prime as well I also think a very good film on which to end the week uh, English language sort of adaptation of the in- Infernal Affairs trilogy I think I believe that's a trilogy of Korean films I think uh, well worth seeing great cast Matt Damon DiCaprio Alec Baldwin Mark Wahlberg uh, Martin Sheen everyone definitely worth rounding out the week with that one and I have to say if you are a fan of Asian movies as I am Infernal Affairs is brilliant to watch in its original format as well. So highly recommend that as well if you can get your hands on it. Okay, so that is it. That is it for another week. Can you believe it? Another week of lockdown, another week of movies on the couch, another week of us running through absolutely everything that you guys can catch and enjoy on your small screen. And there is so much on offer. So do not come to us and tell us that you don't know what to watch because we have (laughs) everything. Am I right? <laughs> I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Miss Perfect. So, in other words, uh, that's it for us for another week. So, uh, this has been Our Screen. I've been Van Connor. And I've been Bex Perfect. We'll see you for another seven day guide to everything movies next week. 